Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dog Backwards Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Moore. We look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. Today, we're going to be looking at Roman Catholicism. Now, I just recently made a video that asked the question, are Roman Catholics and Mormons Christian? Now, that video got a whopping 30 views, and 10 of them were Catholics, and none of them liked it, right? And I want to be fair. I do have a mere surface level understanding of Roman Catholicism, but I want to have a better understanding. I am trying to get to know your faith better. Now, what I do know of it, I feel like is enough to make that judgment call. Then your next response, especially if you're Roman Catholic, is how dare you judge us? You're not God. You can't judge whether we're saved or not. I'm not the judge. Scripture is. If we look at Scripture, compare it to what your leaders and teachers say, I think we can make a fair conclusion. Now, that being said, I have dove deeper into studying Roman Catholicism, and we're going to probably be on this journey for a little bit because, guys, there's a lot to unpack. Y'all made stuff complicated. It's tough because you just don't have Scripture. You got all the traditions of the church and the church fathers and popes, good popes, bad popes, demon-possessed popes, whatever. Like, it's confusing, guys. And so you've got to really immerse yourself. It's almost like an entirely new language you have to learn to understand it. But I will do my due diligence and do my best to understand it as best as possible so that as I examine and critique it, you can say, well, at least he is speaking correctly about what we believe. And I think it's good. I think we should all examine and test what we believe. In fact, the Bible commands it. It says, test everything, hold on to the good, let go of every kind of evil. And as Paul is coming uh, to the church in Corinth, he uh, encouraged them, says they're good Bereans because they took what he said and they went to the scriptures to examine it to see if it is real. So though you might disagree with sola scriptura, the scripture says that is where we should go to guide and to test what other people say in the name of God. If you're interested in church history, uh, this is a great book. It's called Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. It's used in lots of universities. Yes, it is a very thick book, but it's an easy read and it's engaging. It's quite fascinating. So uh, how do I want to start this? I thought about this a fair amount for the last 10 minutes. And I was watching a Catholic apologist. So. If I'm going to critique something, I want to hear what the people who defend that faith say, whether they're a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Muslim. I want to hear what the people who are pro that view say. And I just don't want to read a bunch of books or listen to videos of people who are against it. That would just be like they're preaching to the choir, right? So I want to hear what they have to say. And I was already shocked. In fact, can I just be honest? The more I learn, about Roman Catholicism, I, like, I'm flabbergasted. I, I'm astounded that people can critically examine this faith and go, yeah, that's, this is good. This is good. I think the more you look at it, if you would just examine it with an open mind, and I pray that's what we all have. I hope that's what I have. You go, yeah, that's messed up. Maybe somebody should say something. Okay, so this is a video from a... Uh, Roman Catholic apologist, and he is quite well known. Let me share my screen here. Dr. Taylor Marshall, and he made a video talking about how somebody, Vagano, uh, I, don't, I don't really know who that is, but apparently he's high up. He calls Pope Francis a false prophet, uh, an apostate pope. 
So one of the critiques that I got of my own faith is, well, there's all these different denominations and nobody can agree. Well, guess what? <laughs> you guys can't even agree if your pope is uh, God's representation or the devil. Right? That's, that's a pretty big disagreement. But I want you to hear what he talks about, and I'll respond from time to time. And it was released yesterday, Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe. And he says that Jorge Maria Bergoglio, Pope Francis, or anti-Pope Francis, if you're going to take this route, is in fact a false prophet. And he says that because we're talking about heresy, this is, this is some hard language. We're going to now do some analysis today. I'll do some Q&A at the end, all right? That no Catholic, clerical or lay, owes any obedience to Francis Bergoglio. In fact, Vigano says they should resist openly Francis. Now, I, I, I need to uh, jump in here for just a second because one of the things that the Catholic apologists that I have been reading and studying say is that we can trace our, our lineage all the way back to Peter upon this rock, I'll build my house. And uh, we'll maybe talk about that in another video. I got another verse that I want to examine here um, that you can have this clear line of succession. If there is a clear line of succession, then help me out. It, how many popes have taught things that later popes have said, no, that guy was like an apostate or, or a false prophet? Which one of these guys? has the authority to say that. If, if the Pope has the authority and is a representation of the church, and he was chosen um, in what they believe is a clear signal of the Holy Spirit, all these other leaders coming together, and this is God's chosen man, how do you compartmentalize that there are popes who could be false prophets? The scripture says that the gates of hell uh, will not prevail against God's church. Well, if the head of the church is demonic, that seems like the gates of hell have prevailed. Now, the way I view the church means um, that the gates of hell have not prevailed because the gospel has always gone out, even if there have been bad pastors, because none of these pastors have the role of the apostles or Jesus Christ himself. None of them are these intercessors between us and God. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. And uh, the Holy Spirit gives us to Jesus, who is the great intercessor. So let, I, I stopped a little early because really, I really want you to hear is when he starts, starts to talk about what, a, um, oh gosh, uh, a heretic is. And so let's see what he says a heretic is. Beyond heresy. Vigano says, we have moved from heresy to apostasy. And I've covered it before. Pope Pius XII talked about the three sins that remove you from the church. And those three sins are heresy, schism, and apostasy. Let's go over those three terms because a lot of people get confused, especially about the word schism. First off, heresy. Heresy is a mortal sin against the faith. You say to yourself, this is what the Catholic Church teaches. This is scripture. This is tradition. This is magisterium, magisterium. And I reject it. 
I straight up reject it and I choose my own version of Christianity. So heresy would be, I believe there's eight sacraments. I believe there's two sacraments. If someone were to say, I believe Jesus Christ is a creature or merely an angel, that would be heresy. If they were to say, I reject baptism of infants, that would be a heresy. If they were to say, I believe that bread and wine after the consecration is, remains bread and wine and is not the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that would be a heresy. If you said something like, I don't believe that Jesus Christ in his incarnation had a rational soul, Polinarianism, that would be heresy. If you said that Christ didn't have a real body, docetism, heresy. So that's heresy. Schism. Okay, so I am a heretic, according to this man's view and according to uh, whichever pope he quoted, uh, Pope John Paul Ringo III. Uh, <laughs> I am a heretic, according to this man. Now, there was a couple of things that he mentioned that I agree with, right? Like there's a couple of things like, yeah, Jesus Christ came in the body. He wasn't just an angel. Um, but then he does a couple of things that if you reject the tradition of the church, if you look at the tradition of the church and say those things aren't from God. Now, we can maybe get into this later. Uh, there's probably a lot of traditions within the Roman Catholic Church. and. Um, there's a Bible verse that talks about the traditions of men. Uh, I forgot to look it up first. Um, let's see here. Um, Mark 7, uh, 7, it chastises people for laying aside the commandment of God, yet hold the tradition of men and washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. And he said unto them, Full we yet, oh, this is the King James, full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. And so the Bible even warms like, hey, there are people who reject the commandments of God for the traditions of men. And he says one of the things that is a heresy is not going against God's word. It's going what these men say the true tradition of the church is. And in among that, he includes things that are not in the Bible at all. There's, there's nowhere in Scripture that talks about pedo-baptism, which is the baptism of infants. And he says if you reject the infant baptism, or another thing, uh, the Eucharist, where they consider that the uh, wine and bread becomes the actual body of Jesus Christ, that there's this moment where it's blessed, and it literally becomes endowed with the essence of God's blood and flesh. So that when you take it, you are literally eating the flesh of Jesus Christ and literally drinking his blood, right? He says, if you reject those things, you are a heretic. Now, in my faith, uh, I would say that somebody who believes in infant baptism, and there's a lot of uh, Protestants who do, I would never call them a heretic because I disagree with them on that issue. Those are what we call open-handed issues. So your view on end times, your view on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, your view on infant baptism, those are open-handed issues, and we're allowed to disagree. I would not consider you a heretic, nor say you are outside of the church if you hold those views. But from what I can understand this far in my study, there is a very strong tradition, ironically, within the Catholic Church of having a tight-fisted control on what people can and cannot believe. And if somebody goes against it, they can come very strongly against it. 
So uh, there are quite a few people who were murdered by the Catholic Church, endorsed by it for speaking out against certain teachings. Uh, they tried to kill Martin Luther. And man, one of the things I have learned about studying Roman Catholicism is they hated Martin Luther. Like they hate, they still to this day, like I've heard this apologist that we're talking to call him fat and stupid and divisive, but he was a part of that church. And for many, many years, the Catholics kept the Bible in Latin and only the educated people could read Latin. The, the poor people, the lay people, they could not read that. And so the church was able to control, in my viewpoint, was able to control what people could think and believe. It was a form of political power. It was like those who control uh, like news media. If you think like certain organizations control the news, um, you're probably right. Like there's a perspective that uh, ideologies want to perpetuate into society. Both sides do this. And uh, the news of the day was controlled by the Roman Catholic Church, including what Scripture said. So they kept it in Latin so you would rely upon somebody else to tell you what God's Word says because you were not smart enough or godly enough or available enough to actually read it on your own. And uh, so Martin Luther, um, one of the things that he did uh, was help people understand what the Bible actually said. Like he read the Bible. He goes, hey, guys, none of what you're saying is in here. I have some questions. And because of that, they wanted to kill him. So this is kind of a similar thing to uh, what we see in other cults, that there is this control mechanism that if you get outside just a little bit, the response is really aggressive. Because the narrative has to be controlled because people are not allowed to think for themselves. And so uh, in, in Mormonism, I see this uh, correlation where there is a prophet and you need the prophet to tell you what to think because this book is so confusing. Guys, people have so many different viewpoints. It's so confusing. There's no way you could understand it on your own. Well, I don't find that to be true because Jesus took simple fishermen. And he, he taught them the plain gospel, and they seem to be able to pick up on it. In fact, um, let me flip over to Acts chapter 20. And Paul, at the end of his ministry, he's ending uh, his third missionary journey, is with a group of poor people. Right? We know that because they were on the third floor. Um, only the poor people lived on the third floor due to the dangers of fire. Uh, he had just healed a boy, and he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Then he goes on to say, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So Paul says, I gave you the entire counsel of God. I never left a thing out. I, I am innocent. I never left out a part of the gospel. And be careful because other people are going to come in and say, hey, there's some stuff that was missing. You need the church tradition to fill it in for you. Paul didn't give you everything. He was just a, the cornerstone, the foundation. I am Paul's replacement, the Pope, right? That we can trace our lineage. And I replace Paul. And I say authoritatively, he left something out. 
because you won't see the, the Roman Catholic structure in the New Testament. You won't, you won't see that anywhere in here. You won't see the adoration of Mary in here. We'll get to that in one second because some of you are going, well, yeah, but you haven't read this verse. And I have. Um, let me finish what he's saying and then we'll, we'll jump in. Where you believe everything the Catholic Church believes across the board, but you are not in union with the one Catholic Church, your canonical bishop, and the Roman pontiff, the vicar of Christ, the pope in Rome, the bishop of Rome. So that means you are not in union with the church. That's also a mortal sin. It's no joke. So if you get on the internet and you call someone a schismatic, you are publicly detracting against them. You are saying this person is committing mortal sin. Their soul is in jeopardy. And then the third sin that removes you from the church. So by the way, you can commit mortal sin and you lose grace, but you're still a member of the visible church. Like if you commit adultery, you're still in the church, but you're a dead member. These are sins that actually remove you from the church. The third sin, you got heresy, schism, is apostasy. Apostasy is where you just formally renounce your membership in the church. You just say out loud, God forbid, I am no longer a Catholic. I reject the faith. I reject. I am no longer a Catholic. I reject the faith. So I'm an apostate, a heretic, and uh, the schism. I couldn't believe the schism. Did you hear what he said? That if you reject the Pope, now these are mortal sins he's saying. He's like, guys, if you don't trust what the Pope says, if you don't follow, he said across the board, every little thing the Catholic Church teaches, then across the board, if you don't believe every little detail, you are a sinner. And you are, uh, he said you could lose grace. Now help me, Catholics. Because if I told a Christian that they can lose grace, it is by grace that we are saved, that would mean that they're not saved. Are you, are you saying that if someone is in Catholicism, they believed everything, but then they read um, this verse that we're about to read, and they have some questions, and they begin to reject that teaching, do they lose their salvation? Because I know that Catholics don't believe once saved, always saved, right? Um, they, they don't believe in the security of salvation. It doesn't mean you say a few words like a mantra. And this is the characterization people do of Protestants all the time. Mormons call us gracers. They're like, oh, so you believe just anybody can go, I confess Jesus and now do whatever they want. It's not what we believe. It's not what we've ever believed. We do believe that you can confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, make horrendous mistakes as all people do, but yet you are still a believer. Now, the Holy Spirit working within that person is going to strike their conscience, going to make them wrestle with it. It's not like you get a, a free ticket out of hell and now you can do whatever the hell you want. No, that's not what we believe. So in my talks and considerations with uh, people that are Catholic that have reached out to me online, there's a verse that keeps coming up when it comes to Mary. Because they'll say, oh, you say we worship Mary, we don't worship Mary. And they say, but we, we do uh, hold her in a very high value. And this is, this is why. They said she is the mother of the church. And they talk about John chapter 19. And I'll start with verse 25. It says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, 
he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, the Roman Catholic understanding of this verse is to say, see, this is Jesus looking at his disciple and saying, Mary is now the mother of all believers. There's a problem. When you read that verse, do you see that in there? Because what I see is a singular personal pronoun where Jesus is looking at John and Jesus is about to die. And he knows he's going to come back, but he's only going to be around for a short period. And in a um, patriarch society, uh, apparently uh, Jesus' dad is long gone, right? It's just his mom. So that means Jesus being the oldest child was responsible for his mother. He needs to delegate somebody else to provide and take care for his mother. There's no job. They're not working. They can't do any of that stuff. Uh, why are there fireworks going on in the background? <laughs> my screen. Anyways, uh, he can't do any of that. And so what he is saying is, hey, take care of my mom. You're her son now. And he looks at John. He says, John, she's your mom now. We do look after her. Singular personal pronoun. There's nothing in here that seems to say, what is going on with this thing? I'm sorry, I know I'm stopping, but I am getting some weird stuff on my computer. It's like thumbs up, uh, explosions. Maybe I'm preaching good and my computer's recognizing it, right? Uh, it's never done this before. In fact, if I could be honest, this is like take 12 because every time I would start talking about the Catholic Church, my screen would go black. Uh, but now as we're interpreting scripture rightly, there's literally like fireworks. Now, I'm, I'm not superstitious, but I'll take it as a computer glitch. If you want to read more into that, feel free. But getting a thumbs up when there's I'm not pressing any buttons and nobody else is in this recording. Kooky. Um, so does this look like uh, Jesus is saying Mary is now the mother of the whole church? If it were, if he was saying that, why would he use the singular personal pronouns? Why wouldn't he say something like, uh, John, behold all of your mothers, you know, you're the mother of all of you. Or Mary, behold your children or your sons. He's literally like, and then it says, it clarifies, he took her home to his house. How much clearer could it get that this is in no way a stamp of approval on the uh, adoration of Mary? Mary cannot hear your prayers. Let me, let me show you this prayer because you say, we don't worship Mary. There's no way. Um, this is a prayer. Now, this prayer comes from a, a book of prayers that is quoted often by many popes throughout history. And from what I can understand, the guy who wrote this is one of the few doctors of the faith. The Catholic Church can give out a doctorate of the faith, and it's only done that a very few times. This man holds one. This prayer is quoted by popes, so it has the approval, seal of the approval of the church. And it says this, O mother of perpetual help, thou art the dispenser of all the gifts which God grants to us miserable sinners. And for this end, he has made thee so powerful. So number one, it says that Mary is the dispenser of all the gifts. Do you know that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one that gives spiritual gifts? Nowhere is Mary ever given this kind of praise and adoration or even responsibility. How could she do that? She's, 
hopefully, I mean, she's with Jesus right now. I don't have to say hopefully. She's a believer. She's with God right now. But she can't hear your prayers. And the Old Testament says to pray to dead people, whether it's a saint or Mary herself. That's necromancy. That's a sin. That's like you might as well go to uh, a fortune teller who's going to bring back the spirits of your long lost relatives to seek their advice. The Bible strictly forbids that. Anyways, it says, for this end, he has made thee so powerful, so rich and so bountiful in order that thou mayest help us in our misery. Thou art the advocate of the most wretched and abandoned sinners. So Mary is the advocate of the worst kind of sinners. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It seems like God made Jesus the advocate of all sinners, including the most wretched. Why would I need to insert Mary in as another advocate? Um, who have recourse to thee, come to my aid, for I recommend myself to thee. Now, this is where it gets just messed up from my perspective. In thy hands. I place my eternal salvation, and to thee I entrust my soul. I could pray that prayer, sing that hymn to Jesus Christ all day long, but God forbid I ever say about another human being, in your hands I place my eternal salvation, and to you I entrust my soul. This is, this is a common prayer. Uh, it's called, O Mother of Perpetual Help. It's easy to find, right? Count me among thy most devoted servants. Who do you serve? Jesus Christ or Mary? So you say, we don't worship Mary. Explain to me how you are putting your soul, salvation, and service into the hands of Mary, and it's not worship. Take me under thy protection. God alone is our protector. And it is enough for me. For if thou pr protect me, I fear nothing, not from my sins, because that will obtain for me the pardon of them. Who pardons you of your sins? Jesus Christ. He took our sin, gave us his righteousness. Mary cannot do that for you. I don't understand this. Nowhere in scripture is this found. Because that will obtain for me the pardon of them, nor from the devils, because thou art more powerful than all hell together, nor even from Jesus, my judge. He's asking Mary, Protect me from Jesus, because by one prayer from thee, he will be appeased. So now it's not Jesus Christ who saves us from the wrath of God. It's Mary who saves us from the wrath of God in Jesus. This is another Savior. This is worshiping another Savior, right? Call her co-equal Savior with Jesus Christ, whatever you want, but none of the early church fathers could have ever prayed this prayer. This would have been anathema to them. They would have been cursed for saying this. If I was in a church and someone said this, the church would be on fire shortly after. But one thing I fear, that in the hour of temptation, I may through negligence fail to have recourse to thee, and thus perish miserably. Obtain for me, therefore, the pardon of my sins, love for Jesus, final perseverance, and the grace to have ever recourse to thee, O mother of perpetual help. And then it says, say three, hail Mary's. I know, guys, you don't, you don't worship Mary. You call it something else. It's the highest adoration that a human being can give to another person. But can I tell you, from just 
an outsider's perspective looking in, bro, bro, that's worship. That's worship and adoration. That's blasphemous. That's heretical. That's, that's crazy. So if you could safely pray this prayer, that's when I say you probably need Jesus Christ in your life. And if you could pray that prayer and feel good about it, you need Jesus Christ in your life. And we just looked at John uh, chapter 20, and nothing in that puts Mary on that pedestal or the mother of all the saints. So this is, this is where I'm starting. Those are some of the questions I have already. Um, how do you feel about indulgences? I, I, I think indulgences still go on. They happened not too long ago. But many of the churches built uh, by the Roman Catholic Church, and I've been all over Europe, and I've been in many of them, they were built with money from indulgences. And this is one of the things that really bothered Martin Luther, was that they were going around to poor people, and they would have a jar, and they basically would like, if you want people to get out of purgatory faster, give money. And so you could buy a loved one out of purgatory. That doesn't seem right. In fact, I could uh, next, I tell you what, next video we'll cover this because Mormons do the exact same thing, right? There is a strong correlation between Mormonism and Catholicism. That's why oftentimes you'll see Mormons leave for Catholicism or Catholics leave for Mormonism. The, the structure, the imagery, the uh, desire to have somebody um, tell them what to think and believe. That is a strong temptation that we all have to delegate our intellectual responsibility to somebody else. That's why I'm examining this stuff. That's why I examine my own faith. I don't want to delegate that responsibility to anybody else but God. Okay, so I, I hope you enjoyed this. Don't forget to like and subscribe so maybe more than 10 people can be a part of these conversations. The more of us there are chiming in, uh, the better opinions we can get. And let's wrestle together. Uh, I'll continue to do a deep dive into Roman Catholicism. And we'll see where it takes us. God bless. Talk to you later.